Welcome to Sin 315. We're here to encourage and equip Christians to engage in the adventure of sharing Jesus with those that God puts into their life. And we're so glad you're here. Hey, Sarah. Hello. It's good to see you. You've been so busy running around and everything that we just kind of grab moments when we can. Yeah, How you been? good. Anything good exciting hard. that you can tell Not us? Not anything I can say right yeah, now. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Matt, what about you? What are you up to? Doing well. Very happy to be here. You know, I have said very many times on this show, we have these special, special friends that come on. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like it grows. It's like, mm -hmm. because we have somebody on that we just absolutely love and cherish. Yeah. Today's guest is like, <laughs> I can't imagine anybody to have on this podcast that really can affect people's lives today. We are very grateful to have a longtime friend of ours. I was in her wedding and we've been friends since high school. Long time. We have lots of fun stories together, but just overall, just a remarkable woman who is a wife and a mother and a social worker, low-key in to famous Jamie <laughs> Matranga, welcome to the show. Thank you, appreciate it. She's a lot of other stuff, and I'm so surprised mm -hmm. that she could fit us into her schedule. This is going to be a very full, and as we've talked about before, we have people on the show for a couple of different reasons, right? Because of how God made them and made Jamie a, a unique and wonderful way that other people might be able to relate to of how she shares Jesus, but also context and a very interesting role in her job and her impact that she has in the community. So this is kind of the whole ball of wax. I, anyway, I just want to get to it. Let's just start off with what is your testimony? How okay. did you come to Jesus? Yeah. All right. I feel like I'm going to be laughing a lot in this episode. Could I be. guess okay. that's what happens when you're with people you've known your whole life, basically. <laughs> yeah. So how I came to know Jesus, right? I grew up in a pretty chaotic household. I did not grow up in a household that knew the Lord. There's so much. I don't know where to start. To backtrack a little bit, I found out years later that my mom and my dad, their first date was at Youth Venture. I don't even know if you knew that. By the way, guys, we're in Youth Venture right now. Yes. Um, my mom and my dad, they did not know the Lord. Their first date was at Youth Venture on Graves, the very first location. They went I and they played that. pool together. And so I think God knew. I mean, obviously God knew, but from day one, I think I, I had no choice but to become a Christian. It was, it was just there. So I grew up in a very chaotic household, um, a lot of domestic violence, substance use, a mental illness that really impacted my parents and the way they were able to take care of me. My mom and dad separated when I was around three years old. And so I grew up with my mom and stepdad's partners at the time. And when I was four years old, I was living in a neighborhood where a church bus came and picked up kids. And from my mom's perspective, um, it was a morning of free childcare. I mean, she loved me, so don't get me wrong. She was obviously apprehensive to send me on a bus alone when I was four, but she did. I vividly remember, and she vividly remembers, going to the bus driver and saying, she can go to church as long as she doesn't become like a missionary or something. <laughs> and so, Oh, well. <laughs> Yeah, Which oh you well. did. <laughs> oh well. And so bus I don't know what the bus driver said, probably said, okay, whatever. Can't make any promises, but here we are. So I came to church and I don't think there was a solid moment in time where I prayed a sinner's prayer and accepted the Lord. But I do remember going to church and learning John 14, 6, which is, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I vividly remember as a young, I guess, toddler <laughs> at that point, preschooler, thinking, 
there's a father. There's a dad who loves me. I want that. And I just immediately believed it. It wasn't a second thought in my mind. I just knew like God was so real to me and I never left him since then. So I grew up knowing him. And of course, there's been times where I've struggled, doubted my faith, but I really haven't left his side. He really has been near to me my whole life. I remember the paper that you wrote when you were in school and it said everything didn't magically become wonderful overnight, but in my circumstances, God was with me. Mm -hmm. I remember that was really impactful and honest, which mm -hmm. I think that's what you are. You're impactful and honest. How did that journey continue? Too honest sometimes. <laughs> I'm a very honest person. I mean, that has just been the source of my strength and my joy. And would go to church on Sundays. I would go to youth group. I'd go to kids club. You know, I'd hang out with people from church. I'd have mentors at church. And I'd go home and my family circumstances were the same or worse. They never really got better um, until I was on my own. It was very much a stark contrast between this is what's going on at home and this is what I see from healthy adults at church. Having that stark contrast and having that hope of things will get better. And I remember as a young kid, two things. One, vividly having the hope of when I'm 18 or when I'm out of the house, I'll be able to make my own family. I'll be able to make my own life and having that that hope that it was just temporary. And two, I had a level of compassion for my parents that I think most kids do not. My mom saw church as a negative thing. She would make comments like I'm being brainwashed or I don't know, really negative comments about church, right? Which I understand, you know, when I am seven years old and telling my mom, please don't cuss around me. Please don't say the F word <laughs> as a seven-year-old, right? Or telling my mom abortion's wrong and things that as an adult perspective, she's like, okay, you're being brainwashed. But she also saw that I was able to have a compassion for her that I really think came from the Lord. Mm. You know, being able to see, looking back, if I didn't have a healthy example of what an adult is, I would be the exact same way as a mom. And she didn't have that healthy example. She didn't have that stark contrast of of, this is how I'm being raised. Let me do things differently. And when you don't have that, it's just inevitable. You're going to repeat that cycle. So as a very young kid, I remember thinking my mom didn't have a mom to show her this. Yeah. She had a mom that loved her and my mom loved me, but she didn't have a mom that was healthy that could give her the tools she needed. And I said, I'm going to be that because I have adults who are showing me what it's like to be healthy. And so I think having that compassion for my parents really helped me as a young kid to be able to see, okay, they're doing the best they can. And I'm mad at them. I'm allowed to feel whatever I feel towards them. But I know that they love me and they're trying their best. I'd love for you to share a story. There's a day when the wheels are kind of coming off and CPS or some other social services says, we have to we have to take you. And you say, well, wait a minute. I have to go work at church so I can go to <laughs> camp. Yes. So throughout my childhood, there was always CPS involved, um, which is Child Protective Services. Now we call it Child Welfare Services. They come and investigate, make sure kids are safe. And so they were always in and out of my house. I vividly remember lying every time they would come. They would come to my school, ask me questions. Is there drug use at home? Is there violence at home? And I'd say no, because... A, I was protecting my parents, and B, the fear of the unknown, the fear of being in foster care is so much scarier than being at home, than what's going on at home. And I had little siblings. I take my role as a big sister very seriously. Yes, I always do. have. <laughs> and I think God put me in that role for a reason. It's a big part of who I am. And I had little siblings that if I'm not home, if we're in foster care, I can't protect them. So I was always lying, always covering until I got to a point when I was 13 in eighth grade where I wasn't there to lie. Um, my mom and her boyfriend at the time ended up purchasing substances from an undercover cop. I wasn't there to cover for 
for them. And next thing I know, there's a social worker showing up at youth group on Friday night at nine o'clock at night. And she shows up and says, tells me what happens with my parents, says, I need somewhere for you to go tonight. We're going to go to Polinsky Children's Center, which is a shelter. It's really late at night. I have nowhere else to take you. I'm sorry. And I said, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> As a 13 year old, I told her no. I said, respectfully, I'm in Leadership Corps, which is a program for teenagers at church that teaches them leadership skills, teaches them how to lead their peers. And I said, I have a wedding tomorrow I'm supposed to serve at. You get a lot of points for service events. I am <laughs> number one on the points list. I got to keep this up. I don't want to miss this wedding. I've never been to a wedding before. It was really important to me. And the social worker, instead of saying it's nine o'clock at night, come to find out years later, it was her daughter's birthday weekend as well. Mm -hmm. She had two young kids at home. So she had her own stuff going on as a single mom. And she said, I care. I'm going to try to make this work. So she said, where can you stay tonight? And I said, <laughs> I have the perfect place. <laughs> so I was being mentored um, by a woman at church named Tiffany, who is actually Kevin's daughter. Yay! I ran up to her and I said, Tiffany, I need to stay at your house tonight. And she, I don't know what was going through her head, but of course she said yes. <laughs> And so this social worker drove us over to Tiffany's house. She stayed up till two in the morning getting this home, this little apartment approved for me and my brother to stay at overnight. And she went above and beyond as a social worker, did more than she needed to do to make sure that I could go to church the next day to go to a wedding. The thing about it is these seeds that were planted mm -hmm. then, and Sarah and I have talked about this in other episodes, we're not at war with people in systems. We can partner together with people. And back when you're 13, that connection between people of faith and people that were serving mm -hmm. with daughters at home who have birthdays mm -hmm. can work together to accomplish really important purposes. If someone is inside social services and they're in other contexts, we can work together with them. Mm -hmm. We can accomplish the purposes of God by not having a boxing match. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really important. And it also starts this theme that I was talking to Sarah about. You have ten Tenacity. That's you know? my favorite word in the dictionary. Is it really? Fun fact. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what a I, huge compliment. That is what I Can think. Can you of. give us the definition of it? I cannot. Well, what does it feel <laughs> Jamie to Matrink. you? <laughs> I don't know what it says in the dictionary, <laughs> but Jamie Matranga's picture is there. <laughs> But I've seen you so many times, and you and I have had these conversations mm -hmm. back from when you were really young. You are called to important things, so don't stop short. There's a calling. There's a calling for all of us. So you need to absolutely do what he's called you to do. And one of the things that he called you to do was go collect all these little sisters. That's just marvelous, and it might resonate with other people who need to be more tenacious in their faith. Yes, I take my role as a sister very seriously. When my mom and dad got divorced, my mom had my brothers with whoever she was with at the time. So I have my maternal siblings on that side. My dad, on the other hand, I really didn't have contact with him growing up until the age of 13. And then since then, it was very sporadic. And he had children with other women elsewhere that I did not have contact with. And so when I was 17 years old, I get a message on Facebook that says, hey, I think I'm your sister. In my head, I said, yes, it's probably true. You probably are my sister. And so I get to talking with them. They were 12 and 13 at the time, and they were on my dad's side. When I was 17, I drove up three hours away to go meet them. I formed a relationship with them. And then when I was 19 years old, they ended up living with me. Um, very long story short to what was happening, I started dating my husband in April of 2013. Hi, Josh. Yes. And he's wonderful. You'll see that very quickly anytime that I talk about him. He's absolutely wonderful. We had been dating for approximately four months 
a very long time. <laughs> and it, we had brought my sisters down to a summer camp that our church hosts. And we were both chaperoning at the summer camp. And at that camp, some things came out about what was happening to them at home. We felt like it was not a safe situation for them. They felt like it wasn't a safe situation. And then my boyfriend at the time turns to me and says, so why don't they come live with you? And I said, so you're volunteering me. This is, <laughs> this is how this is working. And he said, no, you're not doing it alone. They can come and live with you. And I said, that's sounds great, but we've been together four months. So what do you mean I'm not doing this alone? And so this started a chain of events and conversations where he became very adamant about supporting me and supporting me and taking care of my sisters. About a week after summer camp, their mom ended up becoming incarcerated. And so it was almost like that conversation a week prior had meant to happen because at that point it was, they hadn't, they called us and said, we're by ourselves. We have nowhere to go. For whatever reason up there, when they incarcerated their mom, no one did anything about the kids. Whoa. Yeah. And so we drove up, we picked them up. One of my favorite conversations I've had in my whole life is me and Josh at that time sat down with our senior pastors, Mark and Dave Hoffman, and said, this is our plan. It was mostly him talking, him saying, I want to support them. I'm going to support them financially. We're not going to live together, but I'm going to help them make this happen. They asked him, okay, so look into the future. If you guys break up, what is that going to look like? You know, all this finances, all this time, all this money invested into these girls. Josh said, well, I would know that I did everything I could to lead two girls to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and that was his answer. And he said, I know that I want to marry her, but if I don't, I will know that no matter what I did, it was to lead them to Jesus. Then Mark Hoffman said, I think you guys are really naive. <laughs> and we just <laughs> got dead quiet. And he said, but if no one was naive and if everyone knew what they were getting themselves into before they did it, no one would do anything great for the kingdom of God. And he said, you guys have my blessing. He's like, as a church, we're here to support you. We'll do whatever we can. And they supported us. I worked at a coffee shop. He worked at a car mechanic place. We were 19 and 22. We filed for legal guardianship together, which was scary, but we did it together. I would leave for at four in the morning to go work at a coffee shop. He'd drive over to my house at six in the morning, take the girls to school. I would pick them up after school. We had one budget. We were doing this together and we made it work until we got married and moved in together. The thing about it that I see is... You had seen things like that, not maybe not when people were 19 years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, Mark and Linda Hoffman, mm -hmm. you've seen probably situations with myself and other people mm -hmm. in the church where that kind of thing was modeled. So although you were really young Very. and may have been naive, I'm sure you learned a whole lot mm -hmm. in that first year, you became a model for other people mm -hmm. coming after you to do the same kind of thing, to absolutely change the trajectory of people's lives. Mm -hmm. And those aren't the only two. I want to jump into that. Thank you for being so open about your story. Let's dive a little deeper into that about the naive thing, because I love that from that quote. It was something like this. If no one is naive, then no one would do anything great for the kingdom of God. There's different types of people mm -hmm. in the world. There's some people that are very much like, we have to figure it out first mm -hmm. before we move, before we do that. You're probably not on that end of the scale at all. No. But what is your <laughs> encouragement since you guys took care of your sisters? You've fostered kids. You have your own kid. You've fostered teenagers with their own kids and another sister and so you've kept going even though you're not as naive as you guys used to be what is your encouragement to people who feel like they have to have it all figured out before they could do something great for god one of the things i remember god teaching me in high school is i went through this period in high school where god was teaching me how to share my faith openly in a very evangelistic way so things like 
I feel like God's telling me to talk to this person at Starbucks, right? Or I feel like God's telling me to walk up to this person at school and tell them about Jesus. And when I was going through this period of learning how to do that, learning how to share my faith and trust those nudgings from God, I remember one of my biggest fears was, well, what if this isn't God? What if I'm just, what if this is my head? What if God's telling, what if that's not God telling me to go talk to that person in Starbucks? And one of the things I learned very quickly is, so what? Yeah. What's the worst thing that could happen? If that's not God, if I'm reading this wrong and God's not the one telling me to go tell this person about Jesus, what's the worst thing that could happen? They hear about Jesus. B, they tell me to go away and maybe some stronger words. But what's the worst thing that could happen? Even if it's not God, there's no, not really a bad outcome for this. Yeah. And I think that really has translated to bigger things in my life where I've said, you know what, is this really God telling me to raise a 14 and 15 year old at the age of 19? Is that really God? I feel like it is. But if it's not, what's the worst thing that could happen? Right? And I think people get paralyzed by that fear of, I don't know if this is God, so I don't think I should move forward until I 100% know, get a sign from heaven that this is God. What he taught me also is that there's the general will of God and then a specific will of God. And so if what I am thinking to do is in the general will of God, which is raise orphans and widows, right? Care for them, visit them, meet their needs, or the general will of God of tell these people about Jesus, tell them how much I love love them. Those are all general wills of God. So if what I want to do or thinking of doing or am assuming that this is what God wants me to do is in the general will of God, then I can trust that he's going to come through for that. The Bible says, visit orphans and widows in their distress, care for them. And I say, okay, God, I feel like you're telling me to say yes to this child in foster care and bring them into my home. Okay. All right. It sounds a little risky, but I'm going to do it. And I say, yes, God is going to support that. And God is going to come alongside that and make a way. And if God really does not want me to do that, I I have to trust he's going to close the door. You know, the thing is, too, is that you went to your spiritual authority. Mm -hmm. So you just weren't wild crazy. You submitted yourself and your plan and everything to some pastors who've done some <laughs> crazy things mm -hmm. themselves. So so you were really still in submission, mm -hmm. which is really an important element yep. of this, but you were brave. Yes. And also the classic quote of God can't steer a parked car. So if I just sit in my parked car and wait for God to turn it on and move, it doesn't work like that. You know, we move and me and my husband say this all the time we move and we say yes until God says no. And God will say no, trust me. There's been times where he said no and we say, okay, he closed that door. But if we keep moving in his will and keep saying, you know what, God, we feel like this is what you want us to do. If you don't want us to do it, then you close the door. You say no, because we're going to say yes. We feel like this is what we're supposed to do. And there's been times where God said, nope, that's not for you. All right, Lord, and we're obedient to that. And so I think just moving forward and trusting that God is going to steer that car, but we still have to be the ones to be willing to move forward and not just sit there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Another thing I love about your story, and one, it's been cool to be your friend for so long and see mm -hmm. you grow, but I love just your life really speaks, I think, of doing things together. You don't do it alone. And even when Josh came on the scene, and I remember that time and it was amazing and beautiful, when he came, when you guys came together, even when you're just dating, like you said, you guys took on your sisters, the fruit of your life grew from that mm -hmm. and has continued to. Could you just expand on that idea of doing it together in context of kingdom building mm -hmm. and evangelism? How did you learn to not be a lone ranger when it comes to kingdom building? Because the way that you grew up, you had to be very 
independent Mm -hmm. and Mm self-sustaining you were the older one you felt like you were responsible for your family so how did you learn to actually partner and allow other people to help you in that process there is a huge difference between being independent and driven and being alone and i think that's something that is a false assumption right that if we're independent if we're tenacious if we're headstrong if we're stubborn and yes i am stubborn that we do things alone and we don't at all. I remember when me me and Josh started dating, I guess I wasn't there, but Josh walks into Starbucks um, and sees Mark Hoffman sitting there. This is before we had a church coffee bar, just throwing that out okay, there good. when Mark, you know, wins at Starbucks. So he walks in and he sees our pastor and Mark looks at him and starts laughing. And Josh is like, what's going on? Why is Mark laughing at me? And he's like, oh, hi, pastor. What's up? And Mark says, you're dating Jamie Sullivan. <laughs> he's like, yes, yes, I am. Why are you laughing? And Mark says, you know, she's really stubborn, right? And Josh says, yes, I know she's stubborn. And then Mark says, but you know that you're really stubborn too, right, Josh? And he said, yes, I I know I'm stubborn. And he says, okay, so you guys are either going to do amazing things for the kingdom of God and be unstoppable together, or you're going to butt heads. And most of the time it might be both. I mean, I think Mark knew. He knew. And I think people who saw us dating either saw it go horribly wrong or they saw it being amazing. You know, in our relationship, we use our, I guess, stubbornness. I say stubborn in the sense that we don't give up easily to do great things for God. But in a general sense of me being independent, being tenacious, all of those things, but not doing it alone is that you you can't do it alone. You really can't. And even as a young kid, I wasn't doing it alone. You know, I had a church family there for me. When things were going wrong at home, I had people who can call and be there for me. You know, I remember calling in high school and calling Kevin and saying, hey, my mom and my stepdad are fighting and I can't be here. And he came and he picked me up and picked up my siblings and took me to stay at his daughter's house. I think it was modeled for me growing up. You know, like small groups are groups of people. You had mentors. You had, you know, other kids that you were supposed to ask to be your accountability partner. So it was modeled in a church setting what it was like to not do things alone. As a young kid, I think God put that knowledge in me too that I couldn't do it alone. Being independent and tenacious and headstrong doesn't mean we do it alone. And I think there's that huge misconception, especially as tenacious, strong people, that strength is doing it alone when it's not. You know, Moses had to hold up the staff to save God's people and he had two people hold up his arms. And even last night, two of our closest friends said, hey, your house is really chaotic right now with your like million children at home. How about we switch houses? We'll come over, we'll spend the night with your kids. You can spend the night at our house and we'll take Mm -hmm. them to school the next day and you meet us back in the morning. We said, yes, that would be awesome. Where a lot of people I think would be afraid to accept that kind of help. But we recognize we're human, we have limitations. Please help us, bring us dinner. open to anything. One thing that someone told me at church when I was very young is don't steal my blessing. Other people miss out on blessings if I don't let them help. For example, me being a foster parent is very contagious. Me talking about foster care and adoption is contagious. I get messages every day, whether online or from people I know who said, talk to me about foster care. I want to do this or I want to help. And how are they supposed to see what foster care and adoption is if I don't let them in? They're able to see how chaotic and fun and what a blessing my life is when I let them take my kids to school or bring us dinner. And even when we took the girls when they were 14 and 15, great example, a businessman in our church paid for gas for me for a whole year. He gave me one of his car's gas cards and said, here, just, I'm not going to ask how much, just every time you need gas, fill up for a whole year and give it back to me on this date next year. And I said, that's a lot. I don't know if you want to do that. And he said, don't steal my blessing. And so I'm allowed to let people in so that they could see. And also a lot of people can't be foster parents, but they can help in other ways. So why would I take that blessing away from them? 
And I think that you become weaker and you become fatigued easier if you don't accept help. Yeah, for real. Can we go back now? You've got this incredible social worker goes far beyond the call of duty to make sure you're safe. And she's working with the faith-based community. In the future, that turned into something marvelous. Yes. What, what was that? Yes. So this social worker, she won't mind if I use her name. So her name is Abby. I reconnected with her when I was 19 because I was taking in my sisters and I said, I need resources. Said, I'm not taking them in through foster care. It was a private arrangement, private guardianship. But I guarantee that some of the resources that are available to foster parents doing this kind of thing might be available to me and my sisters. And also I need to go to college. I was not going to college before then, which Kevin helped talk me into. And I said, I need to go to college and I can go to college for pretty much free because I was in foster care. But I need a letter from my social worker saying I was in foster care. So I asked my mom, who was the social worker that worked with us in our case? And she said, I honestly don't remember the social worker that worked with us for the whole year and a half that our case was. But I remember the social worker that removed you. And I said, I remember her too. I remember her name was Abby. And my mom had her business card. So that's how big of an impact. So I got her business card. I called her. I went to her office. We reconnected when I was 19. I go through my journey of college. And a few years into college, I decide I'm going to do social work. And I wanted to intern for child welfare services where Abby worked. She helped me get an internship. And a few years down the line, I am now a new worker, a new employee. I get hired. I have my master's degree and I'm in my internship for my master's degree. And I am sitting in a new worker orientation and I'm sitting there listening to this story and they start talking about me. They didn't say Jamie. Obviously, my name was changed. But they start talking about Anna, this little girl who had a school play the next day and she didn't want to miss it. And her social worker stayed up till two in the morning getting this place approved at church so she can go to her school play the next day and I'm sitting there and I said that sounds an awful lot like me <laughs> so I walk out of that room I talk to Abby who's now working in the same office where I am I said Abby is that me and she said yes that's you she said we've used your story for the last 13 years <laughs> to train every new worker because East County is unique in that they are neighborhoods for kids is what our office is called and neighborhoods for kids really partners with schools churches law enforcement to create a neighborhood that wraps around these kids who are in foster care or who are at risk of being in foster care. And so she said, your story was part of forming neighborhoods for kids, which has honestly spread nationwide. It's this big thing. And so God knew what he was doing in that moment. Also, I don't think I mentioned that Abby is also a Christian. Found that out years later also. And so she was obedient to the Lord. And I was obedient to the Lord in speaking up for myself when I was 13. And then I was obedient in becoming a social worker. And so that story, I said, I want to be a part of telling that story if that's okay. I'm okay with you using my name. I'm okay with making this, yeah, let's tell the real story about what happened. So me and Abby ended up making a video together telling the story about how she was able to stay up, go above and beyond to get me this placement approved with someone from church. And so we were able to speak to how churches are able to partner with youth, partner with social services to create better outcomes for kids. And so that has become basically this wide open door where I can share my story. Mm. Part of the thing about being a former foster youth, which is what we're called when we're kids in foster care. So I identify as a former foster youth. There's a lot of stigma there of, oh, you were in foster care. You might have unresolved trauma or you might have things you need to work through. Even as social workers, we tend to kind of stigmatize that or be wary of that mm -hmm. because I opened that door to share my story, to be very open with my coworkers about being a former foster youth. It's opened the door for me to share that in everyday conversations. And so I've really been able to be the start of a shift in culture about 
how we talk about former foster youth and adoptees and those with lived experience who are now social workers. That's amazing. The things that really is hitting me, Sarah, is where are you in this story? The people that are listening, where are you? We're talking to an extraordinary young woman. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're not an extraordinary young woman. (laughs) But maybe you're a guy with a gas card, or maybe mm-hmm. the person with a warm, safe place for a kid. Maybe you're a parked car right now, and all you got to do is just put it in gear and see what part you play in an amazing story that changes mm-hmm. lives all over the country. You do it with working together and mm-hmm. partnering with people that you used to think differently about. This is really, really important. You can't write this story off because you can't have all these foster kids and do all of this. You can do something, mm-hmm. and it's all compelled by the love of Jesus. And the thing is, those little things make a really big difference. There's one woman at our church that brings dinner for us every single Tuesday night without fail. She's there, and I have never met her before this. <laughs> My five-year-old always has requests for her because he's five. So last week he runs to the door when she brings dinner and says, I really want spaghetti. I really want spaghetti and brownies. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, buddy, be nice. You know, she's bringing us dinner. Like, just say thank you. And last night, what did she show up with? Spaghetti and brownies. I feel bad partly because she keeps asking to have dinner with us and our schedule just hasn't allowed it yet. But at the same time, she's not doing it for any other reason besides she wants to help. And it's the biggest blessing after we're running around to school and therapy and different appointments and sports to come home and not have to worry about dinner. And those things go a really long way. Oh, man. that's mm-hmm. a, Is she a good cook? Yes, she's amazing. Oh, good. That she's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's important. Yeah, I think a theme, too, with you is just the openness that you have to the Lord, the openness that you have with your story and allowing people in. What types of opportunities to share your faith? I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. like with the social work, you openly sharing that story with Abby and the other workers what just opportunities have you seen to share the kingdom Mm -hmm. like more directly through that every opportunity is an opportunity to share your faith there is this misconception that we have to run around and shout jesus is king and jesus is lord everyone or jesus loves you and you know i'm not the kind of person that goes to lunch and writes jesus loves you on the bill receipt (laughs) like i don't do i don't do that stuff but you live a life that is authentic and genuine and people want to know what that is and i don't walk into the office in the morning and wear a Jesus loves you shirt and you know I don't have Jesus loves you in my email signatures (laughs) at work but people know that my life is different and they want to know why so I'm able to share that just in my everyday life with friends and family Um, social media has been a big way that I've been able to share my faith and I always laugh because you know specifically I use Instagram for foster care and adoption in my Instagram bio like the little thing at the top I don't have anything in there about Jesus I don't say oh I'm a Christian foster mom I don't have anything in there. My Instagram name is Family and Coffee. It's not like Family and Jesus. I don't have to advertise the fact that I love the Lord because people know. There is just a authenticity behind living out your life, doing what Jesus says, that people want to know why you're different. And so I'm able to share my faith that way. I'm able to share it with my friends, with my family. Both of my sisters who did not grow up knowing the Lord love the Lord now. My youngest sister, which is a whole other story, now lives with us and she was just recently baptized. And one of my other sisters flew in from another state and was able to be here for her baptism. I was able to have three of my sisters, my brother, his wife. So the majority of my siblings sitting there with me as she was getting baptized. And to have them all at church is was one of the most emotional moments of my life <laughs> because that's what I've prayed for and that's what I've wanted.
wanted. And to be able to share your faith with family and friends and coworkers and the kids in my home as a foster and adoptive parent, every child that we have foster and adopted has come to know Jesus, every single one. It's not because we're pounding that into their head. We honestly forget to pray for dinner 99% of the time. Like, <laughs> Oh my goodness. We're not a great like stereotypical Christian household. Our kids listen to secular music more than they listen to Christian music. And we don't force our kids to go to church. Um, we foster teenagers. When they come into our home, we don't say, you have to go to church with us on Sunday. They come in and we say, hey, we're a Christian family. We love Jesus. We go to church on Sundays. If you want to come, we'd love for you to come. They say, okay. I just got ambushed in the lobby of the children's <laughs> building by one of yours. So I was thinking, I have yes. to go, I have to go, but boom, here's a hug. Yep, exactly. Yeah. All three of our teenage girls that are home right now go to a Christian high school, and that's something they wanted to do. And it's something that at first, <laughs> at first, one of our, our kids gave us a very long speech about how she did not want to go to a Christian high school. <laughs> and I said, just try it. Just go to orientation and come back. And if you hate it, you don't have to go. She's like, okay, I love that school. I want to go there. <laughs> All three of them within a very short time of being in our home, like within two to three months, each of them who have significant trauma histories, who have honestly have every reason in the world to be mad at God. They all do growing up in foster care, have every reason to say, nope, God's not real. I don't want him. All three of them have come to a knowledge and love of Jesus and a faith that is authentically their own. And it's not because we pray at dinner. It's not because I force them to go to church. It's not because I tell them, oh, these are our family devotions. We're reading our Bible because we don't do that. <laughs> we just say, we love Jesus and we love you. And that's really it. And they ask us questions and say, hey, um, they were talking about this at church on Sunday. Can you talk to us more about that? And we've been able to pray with all three of them, the three that are in our home currently, plus my two sisters before. So all five teenage girls that we have had at this point, we've been able to pray with them to accept the Lord and watch them be baptized and all of these things that they've asked for on their own because they see that our love for them is genuine. So they know that God's love for them is genuine. You know, Charles mm -hmm. Simpson, I grabbed a quote, which I do every time he teaches. He's an amazing man. And he said, people don't need to hear a lot more. They need to see a lot mm -hmm. more. And that's exactly what you're talking about. They yep. need to see a life that compels questions. In the midst of all the trauma and the things that you guys deal with every day, what gets you through that chaos? What keeps mm. it so that you're able to focus on allowing your guys' love to be genuine and all of that? The same thing that got me through when I was four is that God is just, God is extremely constant and extremely faithful. And it is amazing to watch our girls worship because they are in this, they could say the exact same thing I did when I was in school, that things aren't magically better overnight, but God is there. And for them, things are not magically better just because they're in a safe home with people that love them. It doesn't work like that. The wounds are deep and they're still fighting battles themselves every single day. But the difference is, is they know who they can worship in those battles. They can be on their knees on a Sunday morning, worshiping God and saying, God, I need you while also fighting for their lives in other ways. Ways. Mm -hmm. That's something that carries them through, and that's something that carries me through. It's not easy. It's not something that we can take kind of a hands-off approach through. There's not a routineness to our lives. It's not <laughs> something that we can take a backseat to and say, oh, the kids will go to school and come home and go to sleep, and it'll be routine, and it's fine. It's very much on 100% of the time to help our kids navigate their trauma, things that require a lot of training. You know, we've, we've done trauma-informed training, like mental health diagnoses, like all of these things that we need to be equipped, both biblically and practically 
practically getting the proper training and tools to be able to help them in a day-to-day life, but then also having God who is there and who is constant and who gives people those tools to be able to do that. Jimmy, is there something you'd really, a message that you'd really like to get across to the people who are listening, or is there an encouragement to give them? I would say just to keep saying yes. That has been the thing that has influenced our life more than anything else is to say yes when you're afraid to say no. I'm not speaking it in a way that's reckless or a way that goes against wisdom or goes against God or anything like that. But when we say yes, when we're afraid to, it gives an opportunity for God to come through. There's a quote I love. I think it was from Francis Chan, but it says something along the lines of, we have to be unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we would be in trouble if God didn't come through. I absolutely love it. In practicality, I hate it. (laughs) It's not easy, but I love that because that is how we've lived our life is there's been situations and situations where we are in so much trouble if God doesn't come through with this. If we say yes to opening our home to this child in foster care and God doesn't come through and help us navigate this and help us raise them and help us love them, then we're in trouble. Or as a 19-year-old trying to raise a 14 and 15-year-old, if God didn't come through, we would have all been in trouble. Just really having that complete and utter reliance on God, that he is faithful, he does what he says, and that we can rest knowing that in our weakness, he's made strong. And if we go on our own strength and say, I'm only going to do things that I feel like I'm capable of, I'm only going to say yes to this because I know I can handle it, then why do we need God? Mm -hmm. If we say yes to things that we know we can't handle, that we know we're not capable of, that we know are beyond our capacity, that allows God to come through. I don't want to be the one raising my kids. I don't want to be the one that is the sole person that's teaching them what they need to know. I want God to raise my kids. I want God to come through and say, I love you. The reason your parents love you is because I do. And that's what I want in my life. And that's what I need. And so when we say yes, when we said yes to our pregnant teenager, who is now a teen mom, when we said yes to another teenager, so five total (laughs) now, it's not because I thought, oh, I'm a great parent to teenagers. I have never thought that once in my life. It's not because I thought- Do they think that? Honestly, yeah. Which I don't know why. More important. Yeah. They think that I'm a great parent. So that's all that matters. But I've never said yes knowing I could handle it, ever. I say yes knowing that God can handle it. Well, there's a lot of takeaways, but I think that wrap up there where say yes more often to Mm -hmm. things that you by yourself cannot do, that's a formula for changing the world that so desperately needs it. Yeah, I think the the takeaway that I have, and it's totally connected to everything you just said, you talked about earlier, the difference of we're always trying to figure out the specific will of God and we miss the general will of God. Mm. And so I think that's my takeaway is that some of us listening right now are too focused on that specific. We're missing the general when we just need to start moving in the general and the specific will come with the Lord and his backup and all of that. Well, I would say as the only boomer in this room, (laughs) I just want to tell both of you that I'm extraordinarily proud of both of you. And the rest of you, you're sent with tenacity. (laughs) 